You may be seated. Our scripture reading today is from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. And I'll be reading from the New American Standard. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments, which the Lord, your God, has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it, so that you and your sons and your grandson may fear the Lord, your God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life. And that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen to be and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise up and you shall bind them as signs on your hand and they shall be as frontlets on your foreheads. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a great and splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full of good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you shall eat and be satisfied. Then watch yourself, lest you forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship him and swear by his name. You shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the people who surround you. For the Lord your God is in the midst of you, for the Lord your God in the midst of you is a jealous God. Otherwise, the anger of the Lord, your God, will be kindled against you, and he will wipe you off the face of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Galatians chapter 5. If you've been with us, we've been in Galatians for about uh, 10 weeks now, and we're just now hitting chapter 5. And what I've been saying each week if you've been with us, Galatians is, divides up very nicely into three, into thirds, three sections. And what we've seen as we've worked through Galatians is Galatians chapter 1 
and two are very much the opening in which Paul gives a defense of himself and his message. And, and what he's doing is he gives a defense of himself is because he's written this letter to the churches in Galatia. And the churches have come against a false teaching that says you need Christ plus some other things. And Paul says that's not the case and that's not the message and that's not right. And what he does is he starts with defending himself because obviously those who are, who are taking this false teaching are entrusting the false teachers more than they're tr- trusting Paul. So Paul starts with why you should trust him versus the others. And what he says is, I got my word, this gospel, directly from God, and it's God's word. And that's what he goes through in the first couple of chapters. And then we move to the second section, which we finished last week, which is chapters 3 and 4. And chapters 3 and 4 is his theological defense. He goes into the Old Testament and he gives us real clear teaching on how what he's teaching isn't a new thing. It's all throughout the Bible. The whole Bible is about Christ alone and that he would come and it would be his work. And that's what the wonderful uh, case that Paul makes from the Old Testaments in chapter 3 and 4. And that's what we looked at. We looked at how that goes all the way back to Abraham. The promise of the Savior started with Abraham and it's all the way through the Bible. And Paul pulls that together so well. And he brings it all together. And then we get to the last two chapters of Galatians. And it's very much practical application of what it means to live by the gospel. So we get to the last third and we're going to hit the next really three or four weeks. The very practical application of what it means to live the gospel out. And that's what we're going to see today. And I was struck by this as I read this today. If you want to turn there, if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 15. And what I was struck with as I read that over and over this week, and I kept coming back to it, is God's timing. A couple weeks ago, we celebrated uh, Pentecost. And it just so happened that we fell right at the beginning of Galatians chapter 4. And it talks about how God gives the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit turns around and cries out to the Father within us and brings us into that wonderful relationship. And it was such a wonderful passage when we talked about the giving of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. And then as I opened this week and I kept studying and coming back to this passage, there it was. What we're talking about today is freedom. God's timing that here we are when we celebrate in our country the freedom that God's given us. And here we are, we're going to look at what it means to have the greatest possible freedom is what it says in in Galatians today. So God's timing that he brings those together, how perfectly. And what we're going to see this morning as we look at it is the freedom that we have in Christ is the greatest freedom. It's above all else. The reason that is the case, the life, the death, the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the central fact which every other fact is subordinate. All else. Everything else pales in comparison to what Jesus did for us on the cross. So the greatest freedom that we can ever have comes from that. And that's what we're going to see today. We're going to see this wonderful picture of what it means to have the truest, fullest, most wonderful freedom that you can have. And it's in Jesus Christ. So let's look at that. With that in mind, let's look at Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to read 1 through 15, and then we're going to dig in and look at these verses together. So let's read it first. Starting in Galatians 5, verse 1, it says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again To a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be no advantage to you. I I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. 
You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For though the spirit by faith, for through the spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Let's pray and then we're going to look at those verses together. Dear Lord, we thank you for the truest and fullest freedom that comes only through Jesus. I pray today that we would get that uh, afresh. Your Holy Spirit would come and open our eyes to see how important this truth is. That only uh, we can ever just be truly free in you and what you've done for us. I pray that you would uh, soften our hearts. You would open our ears to hear the words of your truth. I pray that the words that are spoken today would be your words and in accord with your word that you've given us. We thank you for what you've done for us and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at this today, I want us to look at two sides of it. We're going to take the negative and the positive. And what I want us to do as we look at it is to look at why, what are some of the reasons, what are the things, some of the things that pull us away and keep us from experiencing this greatest freedom that we have in Christ. And we're going to look at that first, the things that get us off the path sometimes. And then the second thing we're going to look at is how do we grasp it? How do we guard against those things so that we rest fully in the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ? So that's what we're going to do. First, the, the negative, why we miss it sometimes, and then the positive, how to, how to really grasp hold of it. But as we begin this morning, I was thinking about it, just having this in our minds. We really need to start with just what freedom means. What, is it, what does freedom even mean? Sometimes we throw words out and we don't even stop to really contemplate what they mean. And we really need to have a fullness of this as we work through this passage. And I started with just what uh, the uh, dictionary definition of freedom is. And it says the power to determine action without restraint. Essentially what it means is to be able to do what you want. Having the freedom, the ability to go and do what you want. And as I started to think about that, is that a biblical definition of freedom? And in a lot of ways, you go, oh, well, wait a second, we've got to draw back from that. And it's going to sound, I'm going to admit, as I go through this, it's going to sound like I'm adding a lot of things to that. That that's not really the definition. But I want you to stay with me, because when we get to the end, I think that there is a biblical definition of freedom that says you have the power to do what you want. But you've got to stay with me, okay? Because I know in your mind that will jump up a lot of, well, wait a second, I can do whatever I want. Yes, because the greatest freedom comes in Christ, and through Christ you can do whatever you want, and we'll get to that. But I do want you to hold that definition of freedom as your mind as we work through this, that you have the ability to do what you want. So how do we miss this greatest freedom? How do we get off the track? There's two ways I want us to think about it. The first is we can lose it, and we'll talk about how we can lose it. And then the second way we get away from the freedom is we abuse it. 
We lose it and we abuse it. So let's start with the lose it first. Look at verses 1 and 2 with me. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. The first way we lose it or the first step in losing our freedom is when we take the freedom we have in Christ and we we make it about other things. We take our eyes off of Christ. We talked a lot about that a couple of weeks ago. And I want to remind you of the setting of Galatians. You can sum up what the false teachers in Galatia that came to the the area of Galatia, what they were saying. You can sum it up from Acts 15.1. Acts 15.1 says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised... According to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That was the false teaching. What they were saying is they were bringing this false teaching and they were saying, yes, Jesus is good, but he's not all. And you need this other thing. So what they were doing is they were taking these people and they were just gradually taking their eyes off of Christ alone. And that's the first step to us losing our freedom in Christ. When we start to make it about other things and we start to slide our eyes off. If you know anything about the Jewish people and their history and what Paul was writing to in that culture, you can understand why circumcision has the power to move their focus off of Christ alone. Circumcision was a thing that was practiced for 2,000 years. God gave circumcision as an outward sign to the Jews to point to the reality of what was happening with God. It was an outward sign to point to the relationship with God, that they had come into contact with, With the holy living God. But it was always a sign to point to God. To the Jews though it became the thing. It became the. It had taken their focus. It became such a big deal. That they started to think all about that. And it became that. And that's why these false teachers were saying. No, no, no. You have to be circumcised. This is so important. They had missed the big picture. I was reading in a. Eugene Peterson has a wonderful book that he wrote on the book of Galatians, just meditations on the book of Galatians. And he got to this point and he was talking about a great example. And if you have dogs or you've been around dogs, you'll know exactly what he's talking about. It made perfect sense to me and Joanne and I were laughing about it. He says, when you take your finger and you point for your dog, and we did this other night, we just put food in the bowl and we turned and I have a dog named Wilma. And I said, Wilma, or actually Joanna did it. Wilma, it's in the bowl and she's pointing at the bowl. And what does the dog do? He sniffs your finger. You're going, no, it's over there. And he's all over your finger. And you're going, no, it's that's exactly what circumcision had become to the Jews. Instead of it pointing to God, they were so focused on the finger. Circumcision is the thing. You have to be circumcised. That was the thing. And it had taken their eyes off of Christ. Instead of it being something pointing to the reality of what God was doing, it became the thing. And we do that all the time. We take different things and we start to miss the freedom we have in Christ because we make it about other things. And we've talked about that a bunch the last few weeks. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but we can do that so easily in church. We can do it with worship. We can do it with liturgy. We can do it with traditions. And a lot of times, most traditions in the church have really great, wonderful things that they're pointing to. And there's nothing wrong with them. But what happens is we get so focused on them that it becomes all about the thing. And it becomes the finger. And it's saying, no, 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 that thing is pointing to God. And we're going, no, 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 it's got to be that thing. It has to be that. And we make it about something else and we start to miss. And that's the first step of missing the freedom we have in Christ. So we always need to go back. And it doesn't mean we get rid of those things, but we always want to make sure we're understanding why those things are there and what they point to. 
It's so important that we don't get off on the other things because when we do, we start to miss God at the center of it. And that's the first step to losing our freedom. And the reason it's the first step is it naturally moves to the next thing, which is we start to add things to Christ. We start to make it about not just pointing to God, but the worship becomes part of, you know, what we do is part of being, you have to do it this way. And it's like, no, you have to be going to God through Christ alone. It has to be that one thing, and we need to have everything pointing to that. But when we start to add it, I want you to look again at verse 1, because there's something Paul says here that is so serious. And it's, you can almost miss it. Look, at, look again what he says in verse 1. He says, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And I want you to think about the context here. The Galatians, before they became Christians, were pagans. They didn't have any religion. They basically were as, met, they were as far from God as you can be, and they didn't really care. They were so far. But Paul says when you start adding rules to your faith, it's not just Jesus and you add other things. You're just like the pagan. Because he says you submit again to the slavery. You go back to what you were like before you were a believer. You see what he's saying? When you become all about the religion and the, the rules and the things you do, you're no different than the person who rejects God out of hand. He's saying it's, it's, it's both. And the reason why religion or no religion, both of them, neither one counts towards a relationship with God. The only way you can have relationship with God is through Christ alone. And if you start to add anything else, then you make it, you take your eyes off of him and it's no longer about him. And it's just like you've rejected him altogether. And I want you to think about the reason why. Because if I say I'm not, a, I don't care, I don't believe in God. I reject him. And then you take the person that says, oh, I believe in Jesus, but I also got to do this and this and this. Both people are relying on themselves, ultimately. Because when you add something else to Christ, then you're saying Christ isn't enough and I'm going to have to help him out. So you're really doing the same thing as the person who rejects altogether. It's both. So you see that takes us from, from where we have this freedom and what Christ has done for us and it starts to move us away from it. And it's so subtle. It can be the smallest thing. I was thinking I was terrible at chemistry. I took it in high school. But the little bit I remember is when you mix different things, you mix them in very certain amounts and they make chemical reactions and different stuff. And what I remember is you can just mess up the slightest little bit and you can go from something really good to something really awful real fast. That's, that's about all I remember. And if you took chemistry in high school, you probably remember there's always somebody in the class that goes, well, let's see what happens if we mix. And then all of a sudden you've got to leave the room because there's fumes in the room and all that stuff. And the reality is in chemistry, it's a good example that when we just change it just a tiny bit, we lose it. When you just add the smallest thing to your salvation, Christ plus just some little thing, then you're off track. And it's just that little difference that makes a difference. Um, and that's what Paul's saying here. I want you to see that. Look at verses 3 and 4 because he says this so clearly. I testify again to you, every man who accepts circumcision, that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Paul says you add anything to Jesus and it's no longer grace. I want you to think about that for a second. Again, the definition, what the words mean. Grace means unmerited favor. Grace is you're getting something you don't deserve. It's unmerited. The second you begin to add your works, you're trying to add your merit to the favor you're receiving from God. By definition, that's no longer grace. Grace is unmerited favor. You add merit, you erase it. 
So it doesn't matter if you say I'm living 99% by grace and this 1% I'm going to do this over here. You're no longer living by grace. You've canceled. You're, you're not. Because that's the definition of it. Unmerited favor of completely given by God to you by what he's done, not what you do. You see that? It's so subtle. It's just that little difference makes all the difference in the world. Look at verse 4 with me because I don't want you to miss what he's saying. Because when you kind of read through quickly this passage and you read verse 4 and he says, You're severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. It makes it sound like maybe, possibly, you become a Christian and then you lose your salvation. That is not what it's saying. And I want us to be clear on that. That's not what he's teaching because what he's saying here is those, look right there in the middle of verse 4, you who would be justified by the law. The only people who can lose salvation are those that are trying to earn it. And the reality is if you're trying to earn it, you never had it. You see that? You take it all the way down. That's what he's saying. If you're trying to earn it, you never understood grace to begin with and you never had it. It's not that you're losing it. You can't lose something that you never had. And that's what Paul's saying. He's not saying, oh, you've lost your salvation. He's saying you never really understood it to begin with if you're trying to earn it. So I want to make sure we're clear on that because he's not saying you're losing it. He's saying you never had it. You never understood it to begin with. So when we talk about grace and what that means when you start to take and you add things to the unmerited favor, you try to merit them. I want to make sure we're clear on that, that that totally negates it. It's like if uh, Joanne and I get in the car and we're going to go for Sometimes we'll go somewhere and she'll say, do you know how to get there? And I'll say, yes, I know how to get there. And she'll say, are you sure? And I say, yeah, I've been there before. I know exactly how to get there. And she says, okay. I say, I'll say, you trust me? Yes. Yeah, I, I trust you. And we pull out of the driveway. And a minute later, she's looking it up on the GPS thing. <laughs> so if she really trusted me, there'd be no reason to look it up on the right. right? I mean, she just basically the actions just said, eh, maybe you don't know. I trust you mostly, but I'm going to go ahead and check. But once you do that, you're not really trusting. If you're really trusting, you just sit back and go, oh, we'll get there. I know you. I trust you. Right. That's what it would. And it's the same thing with grace. When we add anything to it. Yes, I trust that I'm saved completely by Jesus. But if I miss church this week, maybe I'm not so sure. If you do that, you're not trusting. You're not fully resting in what he's done for you. And it's so easy to slip into that. And that's kind of what's happening in verse seven and eight and nine. Look at those three verses. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And Paul's saying the same thing again. All it takes is a little bit. You start to get off track. It just takes a little for you not to be resting in what Christ has done for you. He says you started so well. We saw that earlier in Galatians. They started off grasping the gospel and they're thinking they're getting it and they're running after Christ. And then all of a sudden these teachers come in and they go, oh, maybe I'm not so sure. Maybe I do need to do some things. Maybe I do need to take circumcision. Maybe I do need to start to follow the laws. And when that happens, they start to get off. And that's what Paul's saying in verse 9. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. You get that doubt in there and you add it in. You're no longer clinging to grace. And that's what he tells us, that it's so subtle. So when we can say, oh, yes, I believe in Jesus alone, but then our actions and our minds, it's why our motivations are so important. If you're beating yourself up, if you overslept one morning before work and you didn't have time for your devotion, are you going through the day going, oh, no, God is angry with me or he's upset or my day's not. And you're beating yourself up over it. You're starting to doubt your salvation because the truth is he loves you just as much on the day when you forgot to do it as he does the day you did do it. And that doesn't mean, by the way, that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. You should do it. 
That's not an excuse, and we're going to get to that, because that's the second part, right? Because the second one, and that really brings us to the end of losing it, that's what happens when we start to doubt, we lose it, but then the next part is when we abuse it. And that's exactly what I'm talking about, because we can say what happens is, oh, I'm saved by grace. I can do whatever I want. It doesn't matter if I do my devotional. I'll sleep in. I'll skip church this week. It doesn't really matter because I'm saved by grace. And when you do that, you start to abuse the freedom that Christ has given you. And that's what he says in verse 13. So look at verse 13. For you were called the freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. What Paul's saying is, yes, you are saved completely by Christ, but you do not take that and turn around and make it a license to sin. And there's a couple reasons why, and some of them are so obvious as I thought about this, it kind of when it dawns on you and you go, that's so obvious. How did it take me to, and as I'm thinking about it, the reality is if you're putting, you have the true freedom in Christ, you're saved completely by Christ if you put your faith totally and completely in him. Putting your faith totally and completely in him is totally and completely trusting in his word. So the things God tells you to do in his word, if you're going to totally trust Christ, that's going to play out by trusting what he tells you. So if you go, oh, yes, I trust Christ alone. Now that I trust him alone, I'm going to just throw out everything he says. Well, then you're not trusting him. And I want us to be very clear on that. That does not mean that your salvation is tied to how well you perform. It is not. Your salvation is by putting your faith alone in him and he saves you. But then your, the response should be, I want to trust him in everything. And when we start and we say, I'll make this a license for sin, as he says in verse 13, we're turning to our flesh. And the reality is it's not freedom. Now you can say, well, you said at the beginning, freedom is doing whatever you want. Well, I want to do these things. Yes, but what it says here is what he says in verse 13. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. The flesh is our sinful self. And there's things our sinful self wants to do that seem good to us. But the reality is because of sin, and this is a good way to think of it, we are diseased. We will do things that we think we want to do that are good, that are terrible for us. And we'll start to go down that road and start to chase after those things. And the reality will become, we think I'm doing whatever I want. And there are awful things that are going to have terrible consequences to you down the road. And when you do that, you're not trusting Christ. You see how those go together. So Paul says, please don't do that. Don't start to use it as a license of sin. You can't start to make it out of duty either. A lot of times we go, well, I'll, just, I'll do it because Jesus says and I have to do it. And even that's not really getting to the heart of what Paul's talking about here. So I want us to think about this for just a second because I've come through these and you can be going, well, wait a second. You said at the beginning, I'm free to do whatever I want. And even that's a biblical definition. I'm free to do whatever I want. But now you're saying you can't do these things. You're free to do things, but just not these things. All right. Well, I want you to follow with me because we're going to look at the positive side of how we grasp this freedom. And I think we're going to come out at the end that you are free to do what you want. And it's a wonderful, ultimate freedom that you can't even completely fathom. But let's work through how you get through it. The way we're going to work through it is how do you answer the things we just talked about that get us off the track? And the first one we said was we make it about other things. How do we keep from making it about other things? Again, go back to first, the very first verse. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. He says stand firm. 
Stand firm in the gospel. That's the first way you keep from making, getting off on other things. You stand firm in the gospel. Well, how do you stand firm in the gospel? In my mind, I always go to Hebrews chapter 2 at the beginning of verse 1. And what that verse very literally says, it says, pay much closer attention to what you've heard. And in the context, it's talking about the gospel. It's saying, pay much closer attention to the gospel. But what that literally means is become furiously obsessed with the gospel. That's the first way you fight getting off on other things. You become obsessed with what the gospel and what it means. Well, how do you do that? You fight to see the heights of God's holiness and his justice. And you fight to see the depths of your sin and depravity and what it cost him to cross that divide to save you. You fight to see that with every, you, all the time you think about what God has done with you. And you're always fighting to see that the best you can. And what you do, the way you do that is you meditate, you reflect, you think about God's word. You come to him in prayer. You meet with other believers and you praise his name and you talk about the wonders of what he's done in your life. And you start to develop this sense of awe of how great he is and what he's done for you. So reading God's word and praying and be together and you start to see how wonderful he is and you develop not just a frame of mind, but a frame of heart. A frame of heart that is so eager and passionate for the delight of what he's done for you. And when that happens, when that starts to take hold and it begins, suddenly all the things that draw your attention from Christ start to fall away. Because you start to see how magnificent and wonderful God is and what he's done for you and all other loves become subordinate. Becomes like Jesus says in Luke 14, everything else in your life will look like hate compared to your love for me. Because he's that much greater. And that's the first step from keeping your eyes, from losing your focus. And when you do that, you see him and he becomes the central focus. And you say, well, wait a second. I don't re- you started with, I get to do whatever I want by freedom. I don't really want to spend a lot of time meditating and thinking about God's word. If you're honest, there's times when that's hard. You go, oh. You get home from a long day. I don't want to go spend a lot of time just reading God's word or praying or these other things. I'm just tired. And the reality is to get freedom in a lot of things, it takes some effort. Now, don't misunderstand me. Again, I'm not talking about salvation, but I'm understanding the fullness of the salvation you already possess. Sometimes it takes work to get to that point. I have people say all the time, I think it's great that you stand up there and you don't have to read your sermon. You don't have all these notes that you're going through. And I go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's great. You know why that is? This is the seventh time I've preached this sermon. And the first six, I had notes and I had things. I preached it to a pile of mulch on my driveway yesterday. All the time, over and over. And you do things to get to a point so you have the freedom to say, oh, I know that. I can tell you now. It's the same thing. I want to have the freedom to jump out of an airplane. So you go and you take classes to learn how to jump out of an airplane and you learn how to pack your thing and pull the cord and what you're supposed to do. It takes some things to get to the fullness of that freedom. And that's the case with Christ to get to the fullness of what he's done for you. It's a life of contemplating and thinking and working just to see how much he loves you. And again, you're not working for your salvation. You're just working to see what he's already done. You're fighting to see it. 
And when you do that, you get to what Paul says in verse 5 and 6, and it's a wonderful two verses. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. And what he says is all the works that you tried to add to it, the more you see what Christ has done for you and the assurance of salvation you have, you rest in it and all those other works and things fall away and it's all about him. And I want you to see that because I I tell you, most people, you read that verse and you read uh, verse five and you say, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness and we miss part of that. And the reason we miss part is we read it and we read it in English and we read it in our minds today and we think hope. I eagerly wait for the hope of our righteousness. Hope in the English language means, ah, I hope so. Maybe it will, maybe it won't, but I hope it does. That is not what it means in the Bible, and it's not what it means in the Greek. Hope means a confident certainty about what is to come in the Bible. So what Paul is really saying in verse 5 is, through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves are confidently waiting. We are eagerly waiting for what's already happened. We know it's a certainty. And what happens, that's the answer to adding things to Christ. Because when you realize what Jesus has done for you is an absolute certainty, then you don't try to add other things. And that's what he's saying in verse 6. Circumcision, uncircumcision, it doesn't really matter. Because I'm saved by what Jesus has done, and I am absolutely certain of that. That's That's where you start to get the freedom. That's where we start to grasp the freedom that is available in Christ. Because now we realize, I don't have to add anything else. He's done all of it. He's done every bit of it, every step of the way, and it's all Him. And that brings us to the last part. When we're resting in what He's done for us, it brings us to the problem of abusing the freedom we talked about before. You can go, oh, well, I'm saved, now I can do whatever I want. But here's the reality. When you rest in who Christ is and what He's done for you, a profound heart-level change takes place. And it starts to grow, and it starts to grow, and it starts to grow. And what happens is this diseased, sinful self that wants to uh, give way to the flesh begins to be taken over by God's heart. And when that happens, verse 6 says, For in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, but only faith working through love. What happens is God changes your heart and you get to verse 14 for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself and you start to outwardly love others. And the reason you do that is God is taking over your heart and you're starting to see the things that he sees. You're starting to do, as it says in Psalms 37, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The reason he will give you the desires of your heart is your desires become his desires. Your life becomes conformed to his image. That's why in 1 John it says, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. They're not burdensome because now we're starting to see and think the way God does. And do you see what happens? You get the greatest freedom ever because here's the thing. You get to do whatever you want because what you want is what God wants. And what God wants is he wants your joy to be full. That's what Jesus said. 
He said that in John chapter 16. Whatever you ask of my Father in my name, he will give it to you. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. The reason Jesus can say that is when you grasp who he is and what he's doing, he gives your spirit and he changes your hearts and your desires become his desires. And you get to do whatever you want. Because what you want is what he wants. And not only that, it's the greatest possible thing you could ever want. That his joy may be in you and may be full. So when I started at the beginning and said your freedom is you get to do whatever you want, I mean it. When you grasp who Jesus is and let him work in your life, you do. And it is so far greater than anything that you can come up with on your own. So as we celebrate this week, let us thank God for what he has given us in our country. That we have freedom. But let us always let that be subordinate to the fact of the freedom that we have in Christ that is far infinitely greater than any other. That we get to do whatever we want in Christ because it's him working in us. Do you see that? The most beautiful truth you can grasp. The, the most beautiful, wonderful freedom you can ever get. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray that we would be open, that we would be uh, quick to respond to the prompting of your spirit, that we'd be quick to yield our fleshly ways to your spirit working in us. I pray that you would remake our hearts to be fully aligned with what you want to do in us and around us and through us, that you would remake our desires, that you would replace your desires in our hearts, that we would chase after them fully so that we can see you working and what you would have for us, that our joy can be full in you. We thank you that we are saved by faith alone in what Jesus has done. We thank you for the wonderful promises that come with it, just giving it to you. Just holding to your grace. We thank you for all you've done for us and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.